It's been said that small compromises bring big falls. And on Jesus' dark night in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter also had his darkest night, his infamous denial of the Lord three times. What led to Peter's denial? What led to his fall? What can we learn from that night? And what can we learn about the road to restoration, the way back? Well, that's today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Peter took out the sword and Jesus said to him, uh, as recorded in Matthew, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? How then shall the scripture be fulfilled that it must happen in this way? Years ago, Tom Papagna shared a testimony. He was part of the Italian mafia in New York, part of what I think was called the pizza connection. Everything's connected to pizza and it's Italians. So uh, anyway, he, he grew in the ranks of the mafia. And this is a testimony that was shared on Focus on the Family some years ago. And he became like the number two in this family. And so he had some encounters with a person that kept trying to invite him to church and he found himself suicidal and uh, you know, he, had, he had gotten money and destroyed people's lives. And so, so his life was kind of at the end and he was getting ready to commit suicide one night and the phone rang and the same gentleman that had been inviting him to church had called right before he was gonna kill himself. Hey, I wanna, wanna invite you over for dinner. So he had dinner and ended up showing up at this church and as he tells his testimony, he finally uh, broke and gave his life to Jesus Christ but he said, you can't just leave that kind of position in the mafia. So he said that what happened was they had put a contract out on his life and it was hundreds of thousands of dollars. And he said he heard stories later that were, there were people that were showing up, they were putting bombs outside of his window and going to set them off and they wouldn't go off. Then they'd take the bomb out in the field and it would explode. And God was supernaturally protecting him. So he said, you know, he just was kind of waiting to die. And he turned on the television one night and he saw the head of the family dead in the streets of New York. That canceled out the contract that was on his life. He quoted this scripture. He said, he who lives by the sword will what? Die by the sword. He said, I'm not saying God killed the man for me, but I'm saying that if you live that kind of lifestyle, it catches up to you. So Peter was in error as he cut off Malchus's ear. I put in my notes, that was an error, but anyway. There you go. I thought it was funny when I was sitting in my office. Um, it struck me that Simon, Simon's name is a form of Simeon. And Simeon's name means to hear. He was renamed Peter, which means rock or little rock. And in the garden, he cuts off somebody's ear and Jesus does what? He heals the ear. Do you think there's a little message in there somewhere? Like, if you want your ears to be healed, if you want to help people hear instead of cutting off ears, pay more attention. Well, Jesus answered and said to them, have you come out with swords, 48, and clubs to arrest me against a robber? And Ivy says, am I leading a rebellion? Every day I was with you in the temple teaching all through the Passover week he was doing this. You did not seize me. But this has happened that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Jesus was going to die at the exact time 
that had been decreed by the Father. And here's verse 50. They all left him and fled. The word all means all. That includes Peter. They all bailed. And a certain young man was following him, 51, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body. And they seized him, but he left the linen sheet behind and escaped naked. Most of the uh, church fathers have conjectured that the young man mentioned here is Mark himself, our gospel writer. They think that what happened was the Passover probably happened in the upper room at Mark's house. This is some speculation, but it's on pretty safe ground. And that Mark woke up in the middle of the night, put a sheet around himself to see what was kind of going on and ended up at this scene. And they tried to seize him and that's why he fled in this way. This was a young man who fled in this way. And so everybody fled. The, the, the main idea here is that they all fled. And they led Jesus away to the high priest. We're told in other uh, gospel accounts that they went to Annas, the ex-high priest first, then the Caiaphas' house. All the chief priests and the elders and the scribes gathered together. There were 70 who made up the Sanhedrin. They were the ruling council of Israel. And they only needed 23 of them to have a quorum, by the way. So... We're, we're not sure if every single one of them was there, but it seems like the majority of them had showed up in the middle of the night. All the chief priests, the elders, the scribes that make up the Sanhedrin are mentioned there. <clears throat> Caiaphas was their leader. According to other sources, he was in the position for 19 years, and his name was Inquisitor. Uh, interestingly enough, they found Caiaphas's bone box in 1990, Sumi, if you've got the photos there, I'll show you a picture of what they discovered. This happened in 1990. They were doing a project in, the, in Israel. This, this happens quite often in this area. They were kind of preparing an area, and all of a sudden they came across this find, and they were, the, the Jewish people are very concerned about protecting the dead and that which relates to it. So... Uh, go to the next one, Sumi. So they discovered this in 1990. It was discovered by the, the uh, construction company. They stopped everything, pulled the ossuary out. Go to the next one, if you would. And they found a bone box with these markings. And the markings say, Joseph Caiaphas, the high priest that oversaw Jesus' condemnation way back, what we're reading about. Interestingly enough, Caiaphas is dead. And do you know who he had to answer to the moment he died? The one that he was so quick to condemn has become his judge. Do you know that Jesus oversees all funerals? People who have mocked them to their graves. They say that the bones that they found in this uh, ossuary, which is a... Uh, Quite a little box. They take the bones after decomposition of the body. Belonged to about a 60-year-old man that tells us that Caiaphas lived till he was about 60. And then he got to face the true judge that he was so quick to condemn. Now the chief priests in the whole council, 55, kept trying to obtain testimony against Jesus to put him to death. This was their goal from uh, many chapters back. They were trying to find a way to kill him, destroy him, but they were not finding any. Many were giving false testimony against him, and yet their testimony was not consistent. Some stood up and began to give false testimony against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, 
And in three days I will build another made without hands. And not even in this respect was their testimony consistent. By the way, in John 2, 19, Jesus didn't say, I will destroy this temple. He said, destroy this temple. And he was speaking of the temple of his body. But if you threatened or your words were taken as a threat against any holy site, this could be a capital crime. And of course, they twisted Jesus' words. Ironically, he was talking about what they were just about to do. <laughs> he was saying, destroy my body, and in three days I will raise it again. But they twisted his words. So ironically, they were about to fulfill the prophecy that Jesus had spoken. He wasn't talking about the physical building, although he had prophesied that even that building was going to be destroyed in uh, due time. And the high priest stood up and came forward. I'm sure he was probably frustrated at this point. Caiaphas did. And he questioned Jesus and he said, do you make no answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? Now, legally, you had to face your accusers and you were put in the middle of this this was a, a group that was convened kind of in the moment. They weren't in their typical place, which was the, uh, there was a, a, a place called the, what was it, the stone of the, called the hewn stone or something like that. This is where they would typically gather, but they, they apparently are in the house, in Caiaphas's house. They've surrounded him, and they're bringing all these accusations, and Jesus is just saying nothing. Isaiah 53, 7, written 700 years before Jesus was born, says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. He could have quickly corrected what they were saying, right? He could have said, nope, false, eh, wrong. But he just stayed quiet. He kept silent. And he said, what is it that these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent. He made no answer. And again, the high priest was questioning him. And he said to him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? According to Matthew 26, 63, he put him under oath by the living God. And he said, tell us whether you are the Christ or not. So many people who read their Bible say, ah, oh, Jesus never said he was God. Jesus never said he was the Messiah. And the high priest says, tell us, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, 62, I am. That's pretty ironclad evidence that Jesus is the Messiah, isn't it? And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power. By the way, that's the place of the judge. And coming with the clouds of heaven. That speaks of his second coming, his coming in power. Write down Psalm 110. The Lord says, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet, I'm going to be at the right hand of power, verse 62, and Daniel 7, 13, and 14 says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. He came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him, this Messiah, was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And when the high priest heard these two scripture references, Psalm 110 and Daniel 7, 13 and 14, he knew what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, you think you're judging me? I'm going to judge you. And I think Caiaphas' bone box is an indication of that. And tearing his clothes in an act that the Jews would use, an act when you were angry and you wanted to express disgust or mourning, the high priest, probably dressed in his official garb, tore his clothes. 
And he said, what further need do we have of witnesses? Hey folks, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. And we'll be back to the message in just a moment. We've been doing a Sunday night service called 633. And in it, we've been looking at a subject called the dark dangers of the occult. The occult speaks of that which is hidden, secret, literally occluded, behind the veil. People are fascinated with these subjects. But God warned in both the Old and New Testament that the occult is something that is forbidden and even dangerous. We want you to have access to these resources to teach you more about the occult so you can tell people who are dabbling in it or messing with it about the hope and the love and the truth that's found in Jesus Christ. You can access this information at our website, walkintruth.com. The Jews would use an act when you were angry and you wanted to express disgust or mourning. The high priest probably dressed in his official garb, tore his clothes, and he said, what further need do we have of witnesses? (laughs) The witnesses produced nothing at all. He said, you have heard the blasphemy. How does it seem to you? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Some began to spit at him and blindfold him and beat him with their fists and to say to him, prophesy. And the officers received him with slaps in the face. All of a sudden, things got violent. You know, it had been that Jesus was just before this group and they had malicious intent, but now they blindfold him and they begin to slug him in the face. And it says they, they hit him with fists. That means the punches were coming from everywhere. They blindfolded him so he couldn't see where they were coming from. And then multiple people started to slug him in the face. Now, if you've ever been hit in the face, it's not a pleasant experience. But if you ever get hit when you don't know where the blows are coming from, it's scary. Some of us are going to watch some football today. Some of us are recording some football at this moment. If you've ever seen a quarterback get blindsided, you kind of know how this works. You, you know, your quarterback's in the pocket, right? He's looking to make a pass, and you see someone's coming there. You can see it on TV. He doesn't see it coming. You're like, get out of the house! <laughs> and when he gets hit, and he doesn't see the blow coming, he can't prepare his body. When you see a blow coming, you can kind of go with a blow and kind of lessen the, the, the hit or the force of the hit, but when you don't see it, it's coming. Can you imagine having your eyes blindfolded and people are hitting you from multiple directions? You can't see where the next one's coming from. And they hit him over and over and over again. And they would say to him, prophesy, who hit you? With a skewed interpretation from Isaiah 11 or some of the Writing said that the Messiah would be able to even know things from the sense of smell. They begin to challenge his statement that he was the Messiah. They spit at him or spit in his face, which was the ultimate insult of the day. They beat him with their fists, plural, and they slapped him with multiple slaps in the face. They were beating him to a pulp, and this is just the beginning of his passion. I was listening to the Bible Answer Man broadcast with Hank Hanegraaff many years ago, and a a man called the program. He was very angry. And he was an outspoken atheist, and he said to Hank Hanegraaff, I can't believe that you believe this stuff. 
How can you believe this stuff about some benevolent creator in the sky? How can you believe in heaven and hell? How can you believe any of that stuff? The guy was angry. And Hank said, I understand where you're coming from. I used to be an atheist myself. Until some witnesses for Christ came to my door and I met the living God. I don't, I don't know how you could even believe in that junk. Jesus Christ, he says this on the air, it's recorded, is a ninny. You say, what's a ninny? A ninny is a way of saying he's a worthless fool. And if Jesus Christ is real, and one day I do stand before him, I will spit in his face. Now, if you were Hank Hanegraaff on the other side of the line, what would you be doing? Cut him off. Send him back in. Or would you respond with anger? If I stand before him, I will spit in his face. And Hank said, well, that wouldn't be the first time that happened. The guy, I think, was rocked. You see, there are people who are angry and spiteful of Jesus. And today, may I submit, there's still people spitting in his face. And yet, he holds off the judgment. You know, when I read these words, they make me want to fall to my knees and say, O Lamb of God, what you did for me. The words of this song come to mind. Your only son knows sin to hide, but you have sent him from your side to walk upon this guilty sod and to become the Lamb of God. Your gift of love they crucified. They laughed and scorned him as he died. The humble king they named a fraud and sacrificed the Lamb of God. O Lamb of God, sweet Lamb of God, I love the Holy Lamb of God. O wash me in your precious blood, my Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. I was so lost I should have died, but you have brought me to your side to be led by your staff and rod and to be called the Lamb of God. You know, they didn't know it, but they were fulfilling prophecy when Jesus says, spoken through Isaiah, I gave my back to those who strike me, my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. Isaiah 50, verses 6 and 7. For the Lord God helps me, therefore I am not disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. And while he was being reviled, he did not revile in return. While he was suffering, he uttered no threats. But he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. Do you know who wrote that? Do you know who wrote that? Peter. That's 1 Peter 2, 23 and 24. You see, this rock took the fall. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let, my, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. Now the camera pans from Jesus being abused as we wind down to Peter below. And I think it's fitting that he's below. And I think it's also fitting that this is verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. Seeing Peter warming himself, it was a cold night. She looked at him. 
his face now exposed by the firelight, and said, you too were with Jesus the Nazarene. Can you imagine how many different places Peter had been seen with Jesus? He was proud to be seen with Jesus, right? He was the man. He was the inner circle of the inner circle. This was the guy who was given the keys. He was proud to be called a Christian. How about you and me? I have days when I'm proud to be called a Christian. And then I have other days when I'm not feeling so Christian. And then I remember I have a Christian t-shirt on. (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) Anybody ever have them? Shoot, I've got a Christian t-shirt on. And then I realize people know me in various places in this city. More places than I realize. I walk into places sometimes a little off and a little tired, sometimes incognito, just going to get frozen yogurt. (laughs) Sunglasses on. (laughs) Hey, aren't you uh, Pastor Michael? Yeah, yeah, hold on, let me wipe the drool off my (laughs) Hey, I got news for you. They know you're a Christian. In their grand? <laughs> what, what, me? Yeah, they, they know you're a Christian too. You're one of them. But he denied it. He said, 68, I neither know nor understand what you are talking about. And he went out onto the porch. By the way, this phrase, I neither know or understand what you're talking about, is a legal denial. It's a form of legal denial. And the maid saw him, began once more to say to the bystanders, this is one of them. Apparently they followed him, but he was denying it. After a little while, the bystanders were again saying to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you're a Galilean. They say Galileans have a tough time with some of the guttural sounds in the Semitic language, so that's how they get exposed. You're a Galilean too, we can tell by your dialect. And he began to curse and swear. Probably the way to take this is he began to call curses down on himself and the others who were accusing him. And in essence, he was saying, if I belong to him, may I be cursed. And if you are wrong, may you be cursed. Oh, my goodness. Watch out, Peter. He said, I do not know this man, and I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, The cock crowed for the second time. They say that the rooster crow happened three times during a typical night. Around midnight, then a little later in the second watch, and then finally just at the kind of the awakening of the dawn. And by the way, they say when a rooster crows, it does so for three to five minutes. It's not just once. He kept doing it again and again and again. And when Peter said those words, I don't know this man, and he called curses down and swore, and the rooster crowed, it kept crowing. (laughs) Can you imagine being Peter? And Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him, before a cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he began to weep bitterly. You know, sometimes the way back is the way of tears. Some, some of us are afraid to cry. We don't want to show our emotion to people. But sometimes you really know something's happened in somebody. 
when they cry. I'm not saying tears are always the acid test. But I'm saying often when you see tears, you know something's going on. Luke tells us, and I want you to turn to Luke and we're done. Turn to Luke 22. Luke 22. Dr. Luke records this exchange in the courtyard. 2260. Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, a cock crowed. 2261 of Luke. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter, Luke 2261, remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, Before a cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. She pieced this together. What I understand has happened is that Jesus is beaten and bloodied by the fists and the spitting and the slaps and he's being taken out of the courtyard and Peter's given his third denial and there's a meeting of the eyes and Peter is able to look on his bloodied, swollen Savior. What do you think the look was like? We don't know for sure. But their eyes locked for a moment and the rooster was probably still crowing. And Peter would never forget this night. We've all probably had our moments. One more scripture, 1 Peter 5, and then I, the preacher promises we're done. 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5. So Peter wrote a couple of letters that are in the back of your New Testament. It's interesting to look at their content in light of what happened to Peter. And as I mentioned, this was obviously a turning point. He was fully restored. He, he experienced the road to restoration, even though he had a hard night of tears. And Peter wrote these words, 1 Peter 5, start at verse 5. He says, you younger men, 1 Peter 5, 5, likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but he gives what? Grace to the humble. Peter certainly lived that. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Peter lived all of this. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour or sift like wheat. But resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And after you have suffered, verse 10, for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen and establish you. Peter experienced all of those. To him be dominion forever and ever, and all God's people said, amen. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael, and I appreciate you listening to today's message. I want to tell you about the store at walkintruth.com. On the store, we have a brand new teaching up. It's on the occult. It's called The Dark Dangers of the Occult. And we have taught on the subject of demon possession and we also have taught on the subject of Wicca or witchcraft, and there's more to come. And you need to know about this subject. You need to know what's going on with the occult, what the Bible says about it. It warns about it being forbidden. It warns that you should not mess with it. But there's also something else. We need to reach out to people in love with the truth of Jesus who've gotten involved in the occult. You can have access to this information, these resources to learn more and to become a more effective ambassador for Christ. It's all available at the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. 
You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.